You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. My wife and I, we made a new friend about a year ago, and this man, uh, his name is Mike Woods. He is the director uh, of the Dream Center in Indianapolis, and just a, this guy, if you ever been around people that like drip faith, that's this guy. He just drips faith. You feel like you could attack hell with a squirt gun after talking to this guy. <laughs> and, um, and so... Anyway, he, he has a, a thing that he does. He, he loves to go, he knows the, the best restaurants around and he gets to know all of the staff at the restaurant, be it managers, be it, be it whether it's the bartender, whether it's the, the wait staff. And you watch them, they all come by his table to greet him. He, I, I don't know whether he tips better than other people, I don't know. But all I know is people come by to say hello to him. And uh, Chrissy and I were out to dinner with him the other night at a restaurant, and, and I watched this one guy kind of going up and down the, uh, you know, the aisles, and uh, he looked like a bouncer. But I, I kept watching him, and I'm thinking, well, I wonder who this guy is. And he was actually their wine specialist at... Uh, you know, at, at the restaurant. And I don't really drink wine, um, but I did, I was on an airplane a while ago, and I, how many have ever heard of those master classes? Have you ever heard of those master classes? And I'm like, you know what? Bible talks a lot about wine. Let's find out some things about wine. I'll probably use it somewhere. And, uh, and so I, I just started talking to this guy. He walks up and he says, I'm the wine specialist. And we, we just start talking about wine. And every chance I got, I thought, I'm gonna try to connect this back to, to Jesus. And it took about three chances of just bringing up wine, that Jesus is the new wine, but Jesus is the best wine. And pretty soon, this guy started to talk to me, and his name was Arthur. And Arthur, uh, he, he came to reveal, like, in, I don't know, in the first five minutes, that he was a Buddhist. But he made a statement that um, probably a lot of us hear quite often, and it's, you know, every... All the religions are really about the same. And I sat there with that for like about 10 seconds. Because I have this thing inside of me, and maybe, maybe this has happened to you. Do you ever stop and think about that you're gonna stand before God someday? And then the question is gonna be, what did you do with the opportunities that I gave you to tell people about me? And and in that moment, in that 10 seconds that I'm sitting there, because we were kind of towards the end of the meal, I kind of felt like my wife probably wanted to go home. And I'm thinking, but this is like... <laughs> right? I just, I, I want to go after this. And so he, he talked kind of reverently towards Jesus, but he said, you know, all of all the ways, you know, it's basically all the same. And he goes, I myself profess Buddhism. And I... And I, I, I said, hey, man, do you like straight shooters? And he goes, I appreciate candor. And I said, what you just said, Jesus doesn't leave room for. He said, he doesn't leave room that everything gets you to the same place. And I said, he, you know, you might think well about Jesus, but he made some really difficult statements. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except he come through me. 
which means he's saying everything else is just not true. And everything else is a deception, and a lot of people, they've become very comfortable allowing their friends to live in deception. And I began to go kind of back towards him. And you, you could say, well, I don't think a lot of people want to have this kind of interaction, Pastor Nathan. But this guy sat down to have the interaction. He's like, oh, I really like this. Would it be okay if we did this? Like, and, and so we just started to talk about the Lord. See, I think there's a lot of Arthurs out there that are waiting for somebody to sit down and have a meaningful conversation with them that's going to go to the heart of the matter. You know, we, we watch drama develop around us with people's lives, but how many know there's a much higher drama at play? We sang about it this morning. That's why you all began to clap when those words about, hey, all, everything that's happening, we're just getting closer and closer to the end. Come on, folks. And if that is really what we believe, then we have to recognize that our faith in Christianity is not a simple list of do's and don'ts. Instead, it is about a much deeper story, and it's a story happening around all of us every day, and it's almost at the end, or to the next chapter, I would say. And this guy, you know, he was very willing to talk to me. I want to challenge you. First off, don't look by people. Don't be so self-involved that you can't have a conversation with people that God loves. And take the time to do it and look for the opportunity because they're there and they want to talk about what really matters. It's out there. Not every heart is going to be at that place, but that's what we're praying for each week, right? We're praying that, Lord, send us those the Holy Spirit is drawing. And I don't mean just send them to Life Church, send them inside the four walls. I'm, I'm praying that God would send you to the ones that the Holy Spirit is drawing. There is a much bigger story. And we have been for six chapters covering a guy named Absalom. And this is the final chapter that we're looking at the story. And so I'm going to have to go back and draw on some of, those, some of those parts. But let's get into this this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And I thank you, God, for the, the prophetic truth that you have revealed in this story and I pray that all of our eyes would be enlightened. God, that we could see Jesus today. In your precious holy name, amen. We're in chapter 18 and verse one, it says, and then David numbered the people who were with him and set them over commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Now, David is running. Just if you weren't here with us, you're new with us. Um, we, we, expository, we do expository preaching, so we just kind of pick up with where we left off last week. Um, David is a deposed king. He's running for his life, and the guy who has come in to try to depose him is actually his son, Absalom. And so there's this rebellion. David doesn't have nearly the numbers that he once had, but he's an incredible warrior. He has incredible mighty men, incredible generals, but he's vastly outnumbered. And so he's gotten into this area where he has some friends, and now he's turned around and he's ready to fight. If, if he loses this battle, he'll no longer be king. But the thing is, David's really never lost a battle before. 
because God's been with him. He's always been God's guy, even though he's done a number of things wrong in his life. And here, here he is back to the wall, and he gets his guys, and, he's, and he divides them out. Now, we're probably talking between 3,000 and 6,000 men that he has. That's a fair estimate. He's got his friends at his back. But the attack is before him, and he's divided his forces to try and conquer. And so it gives us a little bit of detail here about his generals in, that are in, in uh, place here. Look at verse 2. David sent the people out, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third uh, one under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I myself will surely go out with you also. Now, just a couple uh, family connections here. Joab is David's nephew, and he's been the commander of Israel for a long, long time. He is an excellent, excellent general, although he's got some character flaws. He's got um, probably right underneath David, Joab is probably the most valiant warrior in the eyes of all of the people. And he's, his brother is also there, Abishai, and they are called the sons of Zeruiah. Zeruiah is the sister of David. David is quite tough on these guys a lot of times, but this third guy was Ittai the Gittite. Now, sounds like a weird name. Ittai was actually a Philistine when David was in the land of Philistia this guy loved David and left his own people, the Philistine people, in order to follow David. And, and, and right at the end, he kind of comes right before the whole revolt happens and, and where David was going to have to leave. And David actually tried to talk him out of it and said, hey, Ittai, look, you just got here, man. You don't have to come with me. And he goes, no, where you go, I go. So here's a guy that's not an Israelite He's actually been amongst the enemies of the Israelite, but, but he has loved David. And so he's here. He's the third guy. David finds the greatest of people in the hardest times in the greatest battles of his life. How many have ever found some friends in the hardest times of your life? You know, God, sometimes he has you in places and you can say, uh, I, I don't want to be here. I, I don't think anything's you know, good going to come out of this situation. I just want to tell you, some, sometimes God has you in that valley to meet that friend. And Ittai would be a great example of that. Hard times actually can reveal the greatest of friends and they can guide you to who you can really trust. In verse 3, it says, but the people said, you should not go out. David says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go out into the battle. And then they said, no, you should not go out. For if we indeed flee, they will not care about us. Even if half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, now it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. And so the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. And so the king stood beside the gate and all of the people went out by hundreds and thousands. David is considered what in military terms would be called an HVT, a high-valued target. If he dies, the war is over. Really, all that needs to happen is one man to die, and the whole war is over. Everybody else would probably be granted their lives. 
But David is the heart of the people. His reign, his sovereignty, whether he was going to be king or Absalom was going to be king, is the whole point of the entire war. People were willing to die for him and for his kingdom. It didn't matter if they were way, like, like totally uh, overwhelmed with numbers. It didn't matter. They were standing with their king. And in verse 5, it says, The king charged Joab and Abishai and Hittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king charged all the commanders concerning Absalom. This is the same Absalom who's trying to kill his dad. And now the father turns around and says, please be kind to him. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that seems kind of ridiculous considering the situation. But he gives strict instructions regarding him because David is thinking like a father and not like a king who's trying to hold on to his kingdom. His heart is compromised. Isn't it true that we love our kids differently? Look, they could be little hellions, and for some reason, we just love them. I have, you know, a lot of times you see little ones, and they're, they're just little terrors. And we sit there and go, yeah, but they're not saved yet. When he says the young man Absalom, it's like David is saying, don't hurt my boy. You can feel the heart of the king who is agonizing over the loss of that relationship with his son. And in David's case, he's done some things that have led to that. There's a lot of guilt going on in David's heart. Then the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. This battlefield was determined by David. When you go out into war, you want to control where the battle happens. I was at Noblesville last week, and I said, listen, your church is like a battlefield. You determine who, with whom and where am I going to fight. And this battlefield was incredibly important. He is major league outnumbered, but he controls what the one thing he could control, which is where I want to meet the enemy. Now, Absalom has listened to the advice that he was given, go and get all the people of Israel, make sure it looks like more than the sand of the seashore, come against David, and if you do that, you're going to win. He's overconfident due to his great numbers. And he has underestimated David. He thinks, what can three or four or 5,000 do against all of these people? But more than Absalom really looking at David and underestimating him, he has underestimated the one who put David on the throne to begin with. He has underestimated the Lord who is the true king of Israel. The, see, the earthly king was only a co-regent. The true king is God. I got a couple pictures here for you just to help you to kind of see. So this area over here in the, in the pinkish color, what is that, ladies? Is that salmon? I don't even know. That's where the battle happens. David's in the city of Mahanaim, right below that. And you can see they're on the east side of the Jordan River. That's where this battle takes place. Let me show you the terrain. That's 
that's pretty rugged. Now, a lot of times when you get in a battle, you want to fight on the plains. This battle's not going to take place in the plains. And in what you're looking at right now is very deforested. That happened in the Middle Ages, but it was very forested during David's time. It was the forest of Ephraim. Okay, look at the cliffs because they're going to play into this whole thing. The people of Israel were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great, 20,000 men. So it's like we get this whole buildup of everything that's going to happen, and, and then the writer's like, yeah, it, it was over, and David won. <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of how it reads. But look at verse 8. It says, for the battle there was spread all over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Is there any Lord of the Rings fans in this place? Kind of like, yeah, man, the trees, you know, all of a sudden started eating people, right? Um, I wish I would have actually brought that clip, but that's probably not what happened. I did read a commentator that said that actually the animals in the forest end up killing them. Um, but what is probably right is once panic happens, um, by the way, if you've never heard uh, Greek mythology, there's a god and his name is Pan. And Pan is this little goat god, and he likes to scare people, especially on the battlefield. That's where you get the word panic. And once panic happens, it's about people fleeing. Well, can you imagine what happens when all of a sudden a battle goes opposite of the way you thought it was going to go, and then everybody's in panic, and you're running down a mountain with cliffs like you just saw? What happens? Well, the forest ends up destroying more because in the panic, they're falling down cliffs and dying. And it's not even the edge of the sword that kills them. And now 20,000 people die. Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. For Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under some thick branches of a great oak, or also called a terebinth tree. And his head caught fast in the oak, and he was left hanging between heaven and earth. And while the mule was under him, it kept going. And then there was a certain man who saw it. He told Joab, and he said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in, a yoke, in an oak. And when Joab said to the man, who had told him, now behold, you saw him? Why then did you not strike him to the ground? I would have given you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. And the man said to Joab, even if I would have received a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not have put my, out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Ittai saying, protect for me the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I would have dealt treacherously against his life, and I love this verse. If I was going to entitle this message, this is what I, I'd call it. There's nothing hidden from the king. There is nothing hidden from the king. And then you yourself, you would have stood aloof. Then Joab said, I will not waste time here with you. And so he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And the 10 young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around him and struck Absalom and killed him. And then Joab 
threw the, he blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a deep pit in the forest and erected over him a very great heap of stones and all of Israel fled each to his tent and now Absalom so so now Absalom's dead and gone this last verse kind of it, it kind of goes actually to a different time to tell you just something interesting about Absalom. It says, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley, and he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. Okay, I read through that last part really fast because I am so excited to be able to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I have been salivating over this moment for weeks. Because a preacher's great joy is to find great truth and the hidden things and then to be able to expose them and tell you. And I have been waiting for this moment because I never saw it before. And I, I just want you to know, we try at Life Church not to preach all the stuff that we already know. That's why we get into the word because if there's life in the preacher, how many know there'll, there'll be life in, in the pew? If there's, no, if, if there's no studying that happens, why should you be excited to hear it? But I found this from a man who, who wrote on this and I, I want you to know there are all kinds of Easter eggs here that we're gonna find. We're gonna look at the prophetic picture of Absalom's rebellion and the major characters and the themes. And there is a betrayal in the story. It was that of a friend, Ahithophel, David's counselor, who was Bathsheba's grandfather, and, and David, King David. Ahithophel and David were tight. Now, in, he writes in Psalm 41, verse 9, he says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. How many of you have ever felt betrayed by a friend. You know, when people do you wrong, that's one thing. It's not the same as when it's a close friend. That's when we call it betrayal. You probably can go back in and look at the great betrayers uh, in history. Uh, one here in our, in our nation would be, who's the most famous traitor in the history of the United States? Benedict Arnold. Who did he betray? He betrayed George Washington. Had he done it, everything would have been lost. Obviously, somebody said something I didn't hear. What did you say? Joe Biden. You make a powerful argument. See, now I didn't even think of that. Okay, I want you to see who picks up this verse because we're just going to connect all the dots here. Remember that this story about Absalom happened a thousand years before the other story happened. John chapter 13, 18 through 22, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This is Jesus talking, and he quotes this verse about the betrayal that David had with Ahithophel. 
From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Now, that doesn't just apply to those 12 disciples today. It applies to you and me. He tells us before it happens so we will know that he is who he says he is. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives me, whomever I, re I send, receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. To believe Jesus is to believe in God. And then it says that Jesus had said this, he became troubled in his spirit, and he testified, and he said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. And the disciples began to look at one another and at a loss to know which one he was speaking about. As we've seen this about Ahithophel, we see the betrayal of David. It's a foreshadowing of the betrayal of Judas to Jesus. We've seen that Ahithophel was one of David's most trusted and closest men, just as Judas was one of only 12 disciples who went everywhere with Jesus. I've often wondered, why didn't Peter get up and cut and, and try to take Judas's head off? I think he was confused in that moment, even what Judas was doing, that almost no one expected or suspected him at all. I want you to see that as David loved Ahithophel, Jesus loved Judas, even calling him his friend to the very last. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 50, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come for. And then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. By the way, what was the sign that Judas was going to show all those soldiers who Jesus was? He was going to kiss him, right? Jesus calls him friend. Boy, it's hard to call people that are trying to kill you friend. But Jesus did it. Look at this. Despite David's friendship, Ahithophel was willing to betray David when the pressure came on, just as Judas, too, was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus, even when Jesus was faithful to the friendship for his part. It didn't matter. You guys have heard about the betrayal of, of Caesar by a guy named Brutus, right? All these senators come in, they start stabbing Caesar in the back, and he was fighting them off at first. But then all of a sudden, he saw the dagger in the hand of Brutus, and he says, he pulled his, his cloak over his head, and these were his words, you too, Brutus? And he quit fighting and died. Can't imagine when a betrayal comes to your heart, but it has to come through the closeness of a friendship. Ahithophel wanted to take men to capture David, and Judas actually led 600 men so he could identify where Jesus was and who Jesus was. Here's another one. When the plan to kill David was not followed, Ahithophel, he hung himself. And when Jesus allowed himself to be captured, as a result of Jesus' betrayal, he too gave the blood money back to the priests and went out and hung himself. In fact, remember this, the statement that was said, woe to whom the Son of Man was betrayed? 
How about this? Just as David was betrayed and with a troubled heart crossed over the Kidron Valley on his way up the Mount of Olives, you remember that from, from a few months ago when we preached that. So Jesus, on the very same night, he crossed the very same place on his way to the, to the Mount of Olives to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the very same place. And clearly, when you look at that and you go, there's, there's absolutely, okay, clearly there is a deep betrayal of Ahithophel and Judas towards David and then ultimately the son of David, Jesus Christ. But there's a deeper betrayal and a conspiracy that actually runs through all of history. It's even deeper than that betrayal. The person who was really trying to usurp the kingdom from David was the deeper traitor than even Ahithophel. Who was that? That was Absalom. And there is one who came to usurp the kingdom of God, and that was Lucifer. Look at this. Absalom used Ahithophel to try to steal the throne, and Satan used Judas to attempt to do the very same thing. No matter what you may think, the scriptures are pretty clear on the most beautiful man in all of the Bible, and that would have been Absalom. It says that from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish found in him. He was absolutely stunning, ladies. Stunning. Whatever a beautiful man looks like, that's Absalom. <laughs> and do you know that Lucifer was the same way? Look at this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Then it says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, the emerald, and the gold. The workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you, and on that day that you were created, they were prepared you were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there, and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. You know, Absalom had this incredible beauty. He is the son of the king. But Lucifer is also the created being of his created father, giving him all of these gifts. And yet the beautiful one had less than beautiful intentions. Absalom had no intention to be content with just being known as the king's son. That wasn't good enough for him. He wanted the throne for himself, and so he staged a revolt. And in the very same way, Lucifer, was not content to be the creation of the creator. But instead, he desired to have the throne. He desired to have all the glory for himself. So he staged the original revolt. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You, have, you who have weakened the nations. 
But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the assembly in the recesses of the north, and I will ascend above the clouds of God, and I will make myself like the Most High. I always stop right there because this is a fascinating thought. Lucifer cannot imagine someone greater than God. So he stops with, I just want to be like him. That is actually called Anselm's ontological argument. It is, it is the argument that, that God must be real because the human mind cannot improve on God. Not even Lucifer could improve on God. He says, I want to be like the Most High. Absalom's method of his revolt began by spreading seeds of discontent as he spoke to person after person. And do you know what? Lucifer did the exact same thing. Angel by angel, star by star, celestial being by celestial being. Look, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse, verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, or this is also interpreted as the word or traffic, by the abundance of your trade or traffic, you were internally filled with violence. That's why the Bible calls the devil a murderer from the beginning. And you sinned, therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. There's a theologian, his name was Arnold uh, Fruckenbaum. Don't get that one wrong. <laughs> Make sure that you sound that out. Satan, he says, sinned by the abundance of your traffic. This is a Hebrew expression. It means to go about from person to person and from place to place. The picture is that when unrighteousness was found in Satan, he went from angel to angel trying to secure their allegiance by slandering God. And, you know, one-third of the innumerable numbers of the angels was convinced by Satan and joined him, and two-thirds did not. The specific sin here is the act of slandering God from angel to angel. This act of sin originated from where? The sin of pride. And then the sin of slandering God led to violence. And Satan caused violence in heaven by leading a revolt. The demise of Absalom has some prophetic similarities to the fall of Lucifer and his final end. He's caught by his pride. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. Your heart was, was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. Now, wait a minute. What is Absalom caught by? His head. Or, Josephus writes more specifically, it's his hair. And what did we know about Absalom's hair? He, caught, he cut it once a year, and it weighed five pounds. This man is next to uh, Samson in the scriptures being known for his hair. No one is more known for their hair than Absalom. Caught by the very symbol of his pride. Wow. 
And check this out. When Absalom thinks he's won it all, he thinks this is the day of victory, his pride, he gets hung up on one great problem, a tree. What, on the day that Lucifer thought he had won it all, what stood in his way? A tree. Satan thought that he had almost won it when Jesus was betrayed. He was falsely judged, then crucified on a tree. He probably thought that he had executed his master plan. He thought he had executed it to perfection. He had killed the king of kings. And you can almost see how amazed he is at the moment of his greatest victory only when he found out that when he crucified the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, it was the downfall and not the victory. Paul captures this in a little verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, none of the rulers of this age, meaning principalities and powers, he said, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Lucifer was shocked when he was undone by the cross. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse, verse 15. Paul, once again speaking, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a, a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus was not defeated on, on the cross, my friends. He was enthroned in glory. It was the complete and total victory. And look at this. How was Absalom? He was dangling, and the scripture says, between heaven and earth. Do you know what we call Satan? He's called by Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. For you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience. What is the devil known as? The prince and the power of the air, hanging between heaven and earth. And the betrayal of Absalom ends with his death. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come and also our prayer team to come, but I don't want you to miss this. The betrayal of Absalom ends with the death with his death and his body being thrown into a pit. The betrayal is finally overthrown and the true king, David, can reign in Israel once again. And this ties us to what we read about Satan's final demise. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and through 15 says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend up to heaven, and I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I'll sit on the mountain of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I'll ascend from, a, from the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. But there's verse 15, thank God. Nevertheless, you will be thrown down to Sheol, which is the grave, to the recesses of the pit. And, and folks, this isn't just, I didn't want to just show you what has happened from the beginning 
and what happened a thousand years before Jesus and then just Jesus, what, what he did 2,000 years ago. I want to show you what will happen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 3. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, and he shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed, and after these things he must be released for a short time. How does this story end for Lucifer? Oh, he's not in the pit yet, but it's a coming. We sang about Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon. And when he comes, yes, is there going to be a tribulation? Yes, there will be. But there's something coming after that tribulation. When Jesus utterly defeats all of his enemies with a word from his mouth, he will not come back humble the next time. He comes back on a charger, his robe dipped in blood, on his hip written faithful and true. And all of us will come with him, those of us, who are on the right side of the king. But not every person is coming. I've, I've been a pastor long enough to know there are many people that sit in our services week by week by week. They're around the gospel, but they've never believed the gospel. And you will not be coming on this day unless you get it right who is the king and unless you subject your whole heart to him and submit to him, and I urge you, just like I'm thinking about Arthur, and I'm just, I, in my own heart, I'm praying for Arthur this morning. I want you to be there on that day. And I want everyone you love to be there on that day. And I want your kids there, and I want your spouse there, and I want your parents there, and I want your siblings there, and I want your enemies there. I want the ones who betrayed you. Just as Ahithophel was a betrayal in the midst of a larger betrayal, so Judas, he was a betrayal in the midst of a cosmic betrayal. And the devil is at work here. He is at work. I want you to see it. He's defeated by the cross, but he's still in the throes like a serpent. Have you ever, you ever killed a, a snake before? What does it do? You can crush its head, but it will coil. It will thrash. And that's where we're living right now. We see the wickedness going on in our world. That's the devil coiling and thrashing, and he's trying to take anything with him he can. But he, I, I'm telling you, my friends, he is beaten. He is beaten. But he's always been, he's always been in the midst of this. John chapter 13, 26, Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip this morsel and I'll give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel and he took it and he gave it to Judas, the, the son of Simon Iscariot, after the morsel, Look at this, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And no, 
And now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he said this to him. You have to know that the devil is at work to destroy those you love. You have to know Satan, the dragon, the serpent, he will do as much harm as he possibly can. And I just want to ask you today, are you concerned about the master plot line and the war that's being fought against you? Are you concerned for your own heart? Then let me ask you this question. Are you concerned for your family? Are you concerned for your friends? Are you concerned for those you love? Are you concerned for those who have no idea what's taking place? They're religious, but they haven't a clue. Do you care? What are you doing about it? If you care, what are you doing about it? Who are you fighting for? Remember that from the beginning, there's been this trafficking around. Absalom trafficking around. Oh, you're not going to get justice with him. And what do they do? They try to make God look bad. Make the king look bad. Isn't that what Adam and Eve, they, what, what were they up against? What, what did the serpent say? He says, you shall not surely die. Did God really say? And he says, he's holding out on you. How many of the people that you love that don't yet know Christ, they have bad thoughts in their mind towards God? We have to correct those thoughts. We have to stop and help them. You can't just live a Christian life in front of people, folks. You have to open your mouth. You must tell them the truth. He's deceiving the nations. He's been about it for a long time. And the people that you love that haven't yet come to Christ, they are deceived. We have to show what's really happening. And if you don't have an understanding of the larger war, you can become complacent and apathetic. It's so easy for us to say, well, I just don't want to confront anybody. I just don't, I, I don't want to have those difficult conversations. I, I, I just don't think, I don't think they're going to respond well. Don't buy that lie because you don't know what they'll respond to. They have a free will and you never know on what day the Holy Spirit has been speaking to them and that they could come to salvation. Pastor Ross has put this up back here. All those lights there, those represent people who have given their life to the Lord since we put this campus into play. Praise God for that, amen? Praise God for that. But I kind of can't wait until the board has to expand along the whole back of the... And then it has to start going this way. I kind of can't wait because, guys, we might be outnumbered, but we will not lose. Would you bow your heads with me? I tell you in advance about what's going to happen so that when it happens, you will believe that I am he. That's what Jesus said. Today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been around religion, but you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, do so today. This story is true from the very beginning, and what it says will happen 
will happen. You want to be on the right side of the true king. You want to be coming on those clouds when he comes. But you got to get it right. And today I'm going to ask you, because I think this is true for all of us. I, if, if anybody, you need to give your life to the Lord today, we're here to pray for you. But I, I want to go beyond that because I want you to know that if the enemy is going person to person to person to try and stir up rebellion, we too must go person to person to person to save them from the rebellion. And if you have somebody that you love today, you know they are not right with Jesus. I want you to come forward. We want to pray for you today because God uses us. That's why we pray. Prayer changes us. And it gives us courage to go do what we're supposed to do. We are not going to grow simply behind these four walls. We are going to grow beyond these four walls. And I am sending you out. Just as Jesus sent you out, let's go person to person to person and gather them in while there is still a little time left. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.